what's your favorite subject in school? Well, he said, there ain't nothing better than English. Well, I said, I see that you've mastered the language. Correct this sentence for me. I ain't going nowhere, no how, with nobody. He looked up at me and he said, me neither. Longtime radio and TV host Art Linkletter. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. If you're of a certain age, as I am, you remember Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter hosted a daytime TV show called House Party for 26 years. Now, he was on radio and then on television. He was also on television with a show called People Are Funny for 19 years. And he was also known for a feature he did on House Party called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Art Linkletter was a fixture, and he was such a friendly, open, warm guy. Everybody loved Art Linkletter. So you can imagine, in 1988, when I got a chance to meet and interview Art Linkletter, I was ecstatic. Now, I was 32 at the time. He was 75 at the time. The book that he had written that I was talking to him about was called Old Age is Not for Sissies. Because Art Linkletter, after he retired from broadcasting, became a very vocal and forceful advocate for senior citizens, of which he was one. Art Linkletter, from 1988. A lot of people kind of take for granted that old people just fade away into the night. (laughs) In fact, one of the great complaints of many older people is the indifference of younger people. Not just disrespect, which happens occasionally rather often, but indifference. I think it's partly because old age has been kidded about and also has been caricatured and exaggerated. And also it's a portent, another way of saying death is uh, around the corner for all of us, that young people don't want to think about it. Anything that is has any kind of unfavorable uh, suggestion that immortality is not here for us uh, is kicked out. So... That's what happens. And a little old lady came up to me (laughs) in the uh, National Cathedral this morning and recognized me. She was one of the docents out there. And said, what are you doing in town, Mr. Linkletter? And I said, I'm doing a book tour on my new book, Old Age is Not for Sissies. Oh, she says, what you mean is uh, it takes guts to grow old? And I said, well, that's another very strong way of saying what I said. And it does take guts because... You have physical, you have uh, career, family, all kinds of plans that have to be changed. You know, it's not just the people who are elderly now, but it's those of us who are young who have this idea that when you get to whatever age it may be that you have to just roll over and die. Yeah. Uh, It's unfortunate for us because when we get to that age, we figure, okay, now it's time to roll over and die. Yeah, and most of my colleagues who are my age around Hollywood, for instance, are saying to me when they perhaps admire the fact that I'm in splendid and glowing health, they say, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. There seems to be a kind of a feeling that you don't, well, you just kind of vanish. And then, of course, when I was growing up, it seemed to me, as I remember back, most older people I associated with wheelchairs and big hearing horns that they stuck out of their ears. And those kind of things still linger a little in our memory. Although today, as an average group, people 65 years of age are quite active. They're getting all over the world, traveling. They're in RVs. A lot of them are in the second and third career, which has changed life considerably. And uh, basically are a pretty hale and hearty group. 
as the baby boomers age and begin to enter now into their 40s and and beyond, we're going to hit a lot more old people, aren't we? Oh, yes. About every two years and a half, a child is born will live a year longer. And by the year 2050, uh, the 100-year the mark will be about what the 85 or 90 is today. So we better listen. We better pay attention. Yes. And when I was born in 1912, 75 years ago, my life expectancy was 47 to 48 years of age. Today, it's 75, 76 for children born right now, which means that in, when I was born, the average man especially could expect to uh, have about 3% of his life in what's called after retirement because he worked until he was retired and then he died. Today, we have up to 20% of our lives in a new mode. We have different goals. We have different uh, kinds of limitations. We have different family life. All kinds of things are going to be different. So this book is really the first book of its time to take a practical look at all of the things that we have to make decisions all the choices we have to make as we enter into a new kind of life and it gives you those choices and it suggests the questions you ask of others and yourself before you make the jump. It's a very practical book, isn't it? Very practical. It has fun in it because, of course, any book I write's got to have a little laughter. And one of the chapters, or in fact, permeating the whole book, uh, is the subject of attitude, which is not practical but essential. Uh, attitude is one of those things that determines how we're going to live, no matter what practical ways we do live. I love the, some of the stories early on in the book from some of your friends that we all know, them from Bob Hope and from Lucille Ball and from yes. Phyllis Diller. Yes, and Betty White. I had that special chapter because I wanted to uh, share uh, the kind of life that is my life, which is in Hollywood and among a lot of glamorous people, and it's kind of interesting and worth uh, talking about. But those are not the kind of people that the book are written for. The kinds of people I'm talking to and about are everyday working people who have the problems of a pension, problems of whether or not they should sell their house, whether or not they can afford to go on a trip, and also uh, the people who may think that uh, just because they're sick, and ill, and even catastrophic illnesses, that their life is over. Because it isn't, as long as you can participate in something. I have a question that's been troubling me for a long time. Maybe not a terribly serious question, but how do old people like to be referred to? Do you like to be called old people, senior citizens, senior Americans? You know, that's a very interesting question because I ran into it when I started doing research on the book. And I had a meeting with a lot of seniors all across the country in what we call focus groups, where you get their questions and you say, what do you worry about, what do you hope for, and what do you dream about? And the very first thing I ran into was the big differences of opinion among all seniors as to how they should be addressed. Some hate to be called seniors. Others revile the golden years as a kind of a smarmy uh, expression. Then there are others who say, well, why should you call us anything? And you say, well, you have to, if you're going to address that group. Uh, some want to be called senior Americans. Some call, want to be called senior citizens. Some, of course, say, just call me over the hill. I mean, they just take it for granted. So 
There is no rule for that. Different people want different things. But, you know, my dad is 64. I don't think of him as old. Well, that depends on how he lives. Uh, there are 60-year-olds. There are 40-year-olds that you probably may think of as old. It's partly attitude, partly the physical uh, capabilities of getting around, and partly what we call the enthusiasm, the juice of life that flows in some people. Are you still curious? Are you still interested? Are you still chance-taking? Are you willing to risk failure? Do you think that there's a better way to do something? These are the things that determine whether you're young and old. It's in the heart. It's not in the bones. One of the chapters in here that I anticipated would discuss something didn't, and I wanted to ask you about, and um, um, the chapter on housing choices. Yes. When my wife and I lived in New England, we had a tough time finding a place to, to rent because we had two small children. And there were several places that were for older people only. And we thought, gee, how unfair that there's a, here's this perfectly good housing that families could live in, but they've restricted it to people, I forget what, 55 or 60 or older. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? I think it's very good. I think it's fair that there are people who want to live in certain ways and there should be places for them. Just as, uh, I may not agree with it, but there are people who have that many different ways of living and lifestyle that can be accommodated. People, as they get older, do not want young, loud, noisy, active, just as there are places where they don't accept children, just as there are places where they don't accept pets. And yet I wouldn't want to live in any of those places, but there are people who do. So you just have to pay your money and take your choice. The description that you've given here of your home, it sounds terrific. Oh, yes. You must have a lovely home. I have a beautiful home. And, of course, I live up on top of Bel Air. I have five acres and overlook the entire city of Los Angeles. And night before last when I was there looking out my big picture window at the city below me, it was the most astoundingly beautiful sight that I've seen in a, of an of a urban site. Uh, we'd had a big storm, you may have heard about a few days ago, and it blew all of the smog, all of the dust, and everything, everything out of the air, and the entire six million inhabitant city was sprawled out 1,100 feet below me like sparkling jewels. I never saw anything so dramatic in the darkness. Wow. But... Of course, uh, I've had some beautiful homes, and I've had some tough times. A lot of people think those of us who have done well uh, take it for granted or always had it. As you may know, I was abandoned as an orphan with no parents. I was adopted by very, very poor people. Uh, When I was a teenager, I was a hobo and rode the trains across the country, working where I could and sleeping where I could. So that gives me a deeper appreciation of what I have now. Is there anything that you used to do that you're not doing or that you can't do now that you miss? Uh, Not really, come to think of it. You keep asking very interesting questions, (laughs) thoughtful, provoking questions. Where are all these stereotypes that I get at other stations? Oh, you mean like, what is your book about, Mr. Lindler? Yeah, tell me how you got into radio. (laughs) The point is, uh, as I look down the uh, avenue of my life, and it's a very exciting life, the only thing I do I I can't do as much of anything actively physically I'm a very physical guy ski surf all those things and where I used to get up at eight o'clock and be the first one on the lift lines 
I now I'm very happy to be uh, on the uh, slopes at 10 in the morning. Now, here's a stereotype for you. A young person would say, Mr. Linkletter, you're 75 years old and you ski. Aren't you worried? No, because I've been skiing since I was 50. <laughs> Lowell Thomas suggested that I start skiing. And I said, well, Lowell, I'm 50 and I've never skied. Well, he said, Art, at 50, everything is downhill. <laughs> I'm going to send you a pair of skis. And I said, oh, please don't. He says, I'm going to. And he did. And anybody who sends me anything for nothing, I use. So I became a skier. <laughs> and I love it. And, of course, once you get to be a good skier, the real hard effort, uh, physical effort, is not there. There are lifts that take you up so you don't have to climb. You're sliding down with gravity. And as you become a good skier, it's like dancing. And the faster you ski, the easier it is to ski up to a certain point. And then it becomes death-defying, but I don't do that. I ski fast, and I ski well, and it's great fun. You ever broken your leg? Never broken anything. I've taken some bumps, but I'm a good athlete, well-coordinated, been an athlete all my life, and so I'm used to taking those kinds of risks. What is, is there one question that you are asked everywhere by everyone that you wish you could answer just one more time and then be done with it forever? Probably the question I'm asked most is, why aren't you back on the air interviewing children? And my answer is, I did it for 26 <laughs> years, five days a week. And I love children, and I love to talk to them, but I've asked them every question that anybody could ever think, and I've had every answer that I think, although I still get the darndest answers when I occasionally... You never know what a child's going to say. I talked to a little boy at a big uh, Salvation Army dinner in Cincinnati the other night where I was speaking, and they sprung this child on me from the inner city. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was, and he didn't know who I was because he's too young to have ever experienced my interviewing. So I dove into it, and I said, Well, young man, what's your name? Because I always start by giving them something easy to get their voices moving. Then I asked him uh, what grade he is in school, and he told me. And I said, what's your favorite subject in school? Well, he said, there ain't nothing better in English. <laughs> well, I said, I see that you've mastered the language, so I want to ask you a question. Would you please try to correct this sentence for me? I ain't going nowhere, no how, with nobody. He looked up at me, and he said, me neither. <laughs> so you see when I say I've heard everything I haven't but I'm so fascinated by my career today which is lecturing mainly occasionally a book and traveling that uh, I just haven't time to do a regular show but you look like you're having a lot of fun I do I love it I speak 90 times a year I talk on positive thinking I give a lot of talks on drug abuse since the loss of my daughter 20 years ago, and I've become an expert in drugs. I talk about um, family, uh, family planning and success planning, the definition of success, and I speak at a lot of serious places, universities, town halls, conventions. I love it. It's great to be a teacher, a preacher, and an entertainer. Art Linkletter passed away in 2010 at the age of 97. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we're kicking off Academy Award Week because the Oscars are being handed out next Sunday, February 9th. 
And we'll start the week with my 2013 interview with Shirley Jones. Now, you may remember her as Shirley Partridge from the Partridge family, but in 1960, Shirley Jones won an Academy Award for her role in the film Elmer Gantry. We'll hear from Shirley Jones next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.